It was promised me that you'll survive. That you won't give up. Good morning, and welcome to episode 199 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Hello, Sam. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Okay. Um, what did you want to talk about today? Uh, sunscreen. Oh, okay. I almost chose sunscreen, so I'm glad I didn't. Uh, I want to talk about the Astros and Rick Ankiel and clubhouse chemistry. Okay. Uh, I guess since mine is the kind of story of the day, we should start with mine. Mm-hmm. And then everyone can stop listening. Yeah. Um, so... Probably everybody already knows that um, Jeff Passan solved the the Clay Buckholtz mystery on what he was putting on the ball or if he was putting anything on the ball. And uh, what he is putting on the ball is a uh, is like a it's a it's a grip aid made of a particular type of sunscreen and rosin, which when mixed together with a little bit of moisture turns into basically plaster and uh, helps a pitcher grip the ball uh, much better. And um the interesting thing is not so well. I guess it would be interesting if if he had kind of cracked this and and Buckholtz was the only pitcher who'd ever done it. But what's even more interesting is that uh, this is basically just uh, common practice that everybody does this, or at least loads of pitchers do this uh, all the time, and it's um, this kind of. Uh, uh, legally gray area that has just simply become the norm in baseball. Uh, is that? Do you think I'm? Is, am I describing the, the story accurately? Is that mm-hmm. a pretty decent summary? I think so. Yeah, so sunscreen and rosin could be used as foundation for houses, one American League pitcher says, produces a tack, glue-like substance that engineers would be jealous of. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he says basically, like, uh, you know, this was all news to us that um, that somebody when somebody accused Buckholz of cheating, it mm, was a big deal to us. Uh, but... According to Passan, the umpires did not check. The Blue Jays players said nothing. Buckholtz denied doctoring the ball in any way. All almost certainly knew the truth. Bullfrog is as prevalent across baseball as chewing tobacco and sunflower seeds. Major League Baseball can't even ban- can't exactly ban sunscreen, and players accept it as part of the game because they don't believe it leads to crazy movement on pitches like spitters of yore. So um, I guess the question is, do... You and I, as people who aren't on the field, um, have any have any role in deciding whether this is cheating? Do we do we get a say, or do the should this be something that players should essentially um, police on their own? Well, uh, I mean the the rules of baseball have a say, I guess, and the rules of baseball technically would prohibit this, I would think. Um, so I don't know. I mean, as long as those rules are on the books, I guess technically they should be observed or enforced. Uh, I guess if, I mean, if every player has kind of accepted this or embraced this and come to terms with it and no one, no one has, has mounted any sort of challenge to it. And I mean, if, if 90% of pitchers are doing this, then you would think that the league must be aware of it um, and hasn't done anything about it. So, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you said rules should be enforced, but there are there are lots of rules that 
aren't you know they aren't really enforced and mm-hmm. and baseball has kind of uh, figured out a way to to run smoothly uh, in a kind of less legalistic atmosphere and and I think in general that's a good thing I mean they they always talk about how you you know you prefer that the referees aren't the ones deciding the games and in the same way you don't really want the league office deciding the games if if uh, if all the players are wow Paul Goldschmidt is a beast. <laughs> It just homered for the second time. Uh, if all the players are cool with it, I mean, it, it's their game. Is it their game? I guess that's the question. There, there are three, there are three interests here, and one is you and I as fans, spectators, uh, you know, commercial, uh, commercial buyers. One is the the league itself, which is the the business body that is profiting off it, and uh, without them, this whole thing wouldn't exist. If there was nobody making profit. The, the whole thing would be pointless. And the third is the players, who are the only people who anybody care about really in the situation and, and are the talent and are the only ones who are special. And so I, I guess the question is, who's, whose league is it? Who, who gets to decide what, what is and isn't acceptable? Well, I, I mean, if it, I guess it maybe depends on, on the, the extent to which it changes the game or, or affects the... The outcome of the game. I mean, I, did that story say anything about when this practice started? Or it was it was vague. It, it yeah. was vague. It, it said that uh, it's been going on for years. Patient zero is not known. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it didn't. Years could be three years, and years could be thirty. I mean, my first, my very first thought on this is, I wonder if this is why offense is gone. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, sunscreen and and rosin are not new substances. Uh, so, and, and, you know, doctoring pitches or pitchers kind of looking for any extra advantage they can find is not, is not a new trend either. So I don't know why this would have just come into vogue now or why it would suddenly have been permitted now and not a decade ago or two decades ago or three decades ago. Um, but if, if it has, if, you know, if the rise in, in strikeouts and the decline in offense that we've seen over the last few years were tied to the, the sunscreen-rosin combination, uh, and, I mean, that's that's quite a leap to, to make that connection probably, but but if that were directly responsible for it, then, uh, then that has all kinds of ramifications and, and kind of upsets the the offense defense balance and potentially impacts the the watchability of the game or the competitiveness of the game and and at that point you might want to take steps to enforce a rule that is already on the books just to to prevent that trend from continuing further and 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 possibly damaging the game at some point yeah i think that the answer to my question of who owns the game is is actually a little complicated i think there are different parts of the game that are owned by different stakeholders and the integrity of the game uh the idea that uh we can trust that what we're seeing is real and is sort of fair roughly fair and and legitimate i i think that's owned by us Mm -hmm. uh and that when something um when something ruins our feeling about that uh, then we essentially have the right to demand that it stop. And I think that's why, um, you know, for instance, uh, you know, why, why steroids is a, is, a, is a much bigger deal 
um, than other types of cheating and why it's a false equivalency when people say, oh, well, so-and-so threw a spitball. I mean, the, I, I feel like the public basically decided that steroids are a bigger deal because they thought that it disrupted the basic integrity of the game. And that's, I think that's legitimate. I think that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, when something is destructive to the business of the game or, um, you know, I don't know, like something like segregation, I think, uh, the ownership was right to take that out of the players' hands when the players were threatening to strike over it or players were threatening to walk up the field. I think it was right for the owners to um, to ignore them or at least one team's owner to ignore them because uh, the interests of the game from a business standpoint are it, are their ownership. And then everything else I think is basically the players. So they, I, I would give them a, a large degree of latitude uh, in how they want to basically run the day-to-day of their sport. And I've actually always had this kind of theory that um, it might actually be good if Major League Baseball got out of the PED policing business and left it to the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I have this sort of theory that they would actually police themselves a lot better uh, if it was their responsibility uh, and not the league's uh, but as long as you make it the league's responsibility, uh, then they have um, th- they're kind of uh, uh, they have the right to abscond. It, 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 uh, they kind of, I, I don't really know how to. Well, I mean, before there was a, a league PED policy, wasn't that the case? I don't think it was. I think it was still known to be the league's rules it was the league's decision of what was legal and what was not legal i mean it was the league would suspend you if you got caught with cocaine for instance uh and it was the i mean i think everybody kind of thought of it as it was the league's responsibility to outlaw it or not outlaw it um i might be wrong about this but that i think that's probably true mm-hmm. and so you mean uh, the league just came out and made a statement and said it's okay with us it's up yeah, to you guys. You, it's up to you guys because I don't think they. I don't think the players want the, want it to be um, allowed. I think the, the players, for the most part, would prefer an even playing field where they don't have to engage in this arms race, um, this sort of dangerous and expensive and uncomfortable arms race. And I, I don't know. I think that they're more. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, they probably are are better able to police themselves. They probably know uh, who's cheating better than drug tests sometimes know who's cheating. So. Uh, anyway, that's a, a, a long and un, sort of poorly thought out tangent uh, that is only somewhat on topic. Uh, but I don't know. I guess in this case, uh, if if everybody knew about it, then I would probably be sort of OK with it. Uh, I don't get the sense that necessarily everybody did know about it, though. I think it was probably fairly common knowledge, but like I don't think. Dirk Harris knew about it because mm-hmm. um, he seemed to think that something else was going on, something somewhat more sinister. And I also think that it's telling that Buckholtz couldn't admit it and didn't say immediately exactly what he was doing. I mean, uh, it might be that he's just sort of protecting himself legally and innocent people have lawyers too. And so that's, it's not necessarily the case that he's guilty just because he's being legally cautious. Uh, but, um, I mean, if, if it's truly a totally common thing that he has no concerns about, uh, he, he wouldn't have to do it so secretly. He wouldn't have to kind of disguise his actions a little bit and deny it and claim it didn't happen and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So I don't know. It's definitely gray. So if you were the manager of a team 
uh, and let's I don't know let's say you're the Rays or or some some low budget team that that is kind of on the on the bubble of playoff contention and every every win could be crucial and let's say that you know that every pitcher on your team does not do this and and maybe maybe every team has a pitcher who does this but but let's say that that your team does not do this um, would you now that it's kind of known or common knowledge and people will be looking for it probably, would you ever kind of challenge, would you ever ask an umpire to go out and, and check an opposing pitcher who you think is doing this, knowing that they could be removed from the game and it's not going to hurt your team directly and maybe that, that one win that you'll get by by getting a sunscreen pitcher out of the game could could let you make the playoffs? Oh gosh, I would do it even if everybody on my team were were doing it. I mean, that's <laughs> well, just I, mean, I think that's simple. There'd be retaliation, of course. Uh, well, if they, let them do it. Let them, you know, if they can catch me, if they can catch me cheating, then so be it. But yeah, I mean, I would definitely use this if if I if I could. And I think the the more complicated question to me uh, would be if if I had a pitcher, if I were a pitching coach, and I had a pitcher who wasn't doing this. Would I have any qualms about saying, "Hey, why aren't you using the magic cheat sauce mm-hmm. that that everybody's doing?" I, I'm not sure whether this is crossed over to a point where club officials can like openly suggest it if it's that open, mm-hmm. or if it's still kind of a thing that is done slightly in the shadows, unmentioned, and only talked about among players and teammates. I don't know. I guess we'll maybe know more about that when more players are talking about it. This is a first day story at the moment. Yeah, I I would say that. Uh, I guess I mean Morris and, and Hayhurst took a lot of heat for for bringing this up and and maybe a lot of it was justified kind of the way they went about it or particularly Morris went about it kind of uh, I don't know there was a bit of grandstanding I guess or or it kind of maybe became a, a distraction for the Blue Jays and and also I mean just kind of the the claims about the movement on the pitch being dramatically affected seemed not not true even if even if Buckholtz was using this mixture his pitches weren't doing anything crazy as as Morris seemed to suggest but but it does kind of uh highlight I think to me the the value of having a former player in a in a broadcast booth or or covering the game because those guys take a lot of heat uh and you know the the sort of sabermetric stance I guess generally is that uh, why don't they have more kind of stat guys in broadcast booths or, or why don't they have people who care about numbers and uh, it's just a cliche to, to get a former player who will say former player things and, and they all kind of sound the same and and that's true a lot of times but also sometimes they pick up on on things that that you or I wouldn't um, and this is kind of the the value of that. I guess this was this was started by a, a former player who recognized this as as you know something out of the ordinary, um, which is exactly what you want a, a former player in the broadcast booth for. I guess to to perceive this thing that would be invisible to most of us. So that is a word in in support of having those guys play a role in covering the game, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
the thing I wanted to talk about was Rick Ankiel, and, and I guess we've we've talked a bit about Rick Ankiel, but um, there was a story in the Houston Chronicle on Wednesday uh, by Brian T. Smith, and it was it was about the the kind of the excruciating parting of of Rick Ankiel and the Astros, and particularly Carlos Pena. It was like it was filled with these almost maudlin quotes about uh, Ankiel's value to the team as a, a clubhouse chemistry guy and and how traumatic it was for 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 the team and for Pena in particular to be separated from him um, as he was designated for assignment and, and it kind of painted this picture of, of Pena and Ankiel as, as the only veterans on this very young team and how they they kind of uh, they teamed up to try to mentor everyone, and and so this was uh, very jarring. There's a quote from Pena that says, "It hurt me, it crushed me, and I think it crushed everybody because everybody loved Ankiel. He's awesome. Everybody just loved him." And then there's this this text message exchange between Pena and Ankiel that it's like it's like the I don't know, it's like the Rose and Jack scene from the end of Titanic, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can't even read it in a serious voice. It's, it's uh, Pena says he was like, "Don't worry, keep on pressing, help those guys." I'm like, "I'm going to miss you." He's like, "No, just go. Don't worry about it. I'll call you. We'll go fishing. But now go." <laughs> and so, and then there are quotes from the young guys on the Astros, uh, Brandon Barnes saying, Rick took me under his wing and took care of me while he was here. We talked baseball. We talked life. It's tough to see him go. I love him like a brother uh, and that sort of thing. And so I guess it's surprising to me in light of that, maybe that, that he was designated for assignment so soon, given that. I mean, the the strikeouts were insane, and we've talked about the strikeouts. Um, but overall, I mean, he was he was fairly productive even while he was striking out in every other at bat because he hit five homers and he had three doubles and he slugged 484 and was basically a league average hitter. Uh, and it was just 65 plate appearances. So, I mean, he was signed in January and and he he actually had a, a great spring training uh so it wasn't like he was striking out every at bat there he hit 413 or something and slugged 830 um and so he's like and you would think that the astros if any team were going to live with a guy who's who's striking out a lot uh for the value of his his clubhouse presence it would be a team like the astros with just a a ton of young guys and no hope of contention. Um, and so it seems sort of strange to me that they would keep him around long enough for him to form these, these bonds and, and become a, like a, a teaching figure and someone that all of these young players look up to and then release him after or, or designated for assignment. And, and probably he will become a free agent uh, after 65 plate appearances in which despite the strikeouts, he wasn't actually bad. He was pretty much fine for the position he was playing and, and the power he was hitting with. Um, so kind of surprises me and, and kind of makes me wonder about the the value that teams put on, on clubhouse chemistry. If he was 
if he was like a an 80 chemistry guy uh, who was playing pretty much okay and and seemed to be becoming a mentor as they had intended uh, and then he was cast loose anyway and I guess I mean and, and they called up Jimmy Paredes from AAA who was hitting very very well at AAA and it seems like he'll probably be a kind of a nice player in that he plays just about every position and, and can hit a little bit kind of like a, a super utility guy but not really not like a, a super high ceiling top prospect whom you wouldn't wouldn't want to be blocked or, or who wouldn't be able to benefit from a little more time in AAA given that he's learning all sorts of new positions and uh, so I don't know it, it it seems kind of strange to me that that they would value the the clubhouse chemistry enough to sign Ankiel and then when that worked exactly as as it was intended seemingly uh, cast him loose anyway I just first want to note that uh, I was laughing at your reading of those text messages because uh-huh. because uh, you're you you have an interesting voice and <laughs> uh, an interesting style of reading uh, uh, romantic text text messages yes. I I'm not laughing at the text messages themselves, which I think are, uh, I, are wonderfully, I, wonderfully sincere. And I, I am I, laughing at them a little bit. Well, I'm not. Okay. I, I, I don't have a cold, cold, <laughs> cold and callous heart uh-huh. uh, like you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, um, I guess there are, uh, are a few things that are unknown here. Uh, I guess we don't, for instance, know whether removing him actually has any downside i mean uh carlos pena is sad and maybe everybody else will be sad too but uh you know it's the guys are going to come and go and and i think unless uh players felt like he had been treated unfairly and they had some bitterness uh to the to the organization it's hard to see some sort of long-term damage coming from it in any particular way i think that one thing that we underrate particularly in um in the minor leagues in, in player development is that uh, a lot of clubs, I don't know if this is true for all organizations, but, but a lot of organizations and, and in a lot of settings, they really do put a premium on, on getting players accustomed to, to winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it's not just about developing your, your physical skills and it's not just about, you know, getting more mature. They, they want you to have the mindset of winning and they want you to, f- to feel victory and to know how to win and to know how to, you know, be in a, be in a be in a pennant race, even if it's a fake pennant race, and to you know be playing to take the third game of a series against a good team, even if you're 29 games out of first place. Um, so there might be some benefit to and, and uh, sorry, and I didn't finish this thought. The other thing is that you want to have players feeling like um, good play is promoted, yes, right. and and bad and bad play is not promoted, mm-hmm. and you know you. Yes, Ankiel has Ankiel has five home runs, and so it's. I, I don't know how the I don't know how these guys evaluate each other. I don't know how his stat line plays. He does have five home runs, and so it could be that they go, "Wow, geez, he's leading the team, and you know he's second in, on the team in home runs, and he gets demoted." Uh, you know what is this random? Or it could be that you know he struck out thirty-five times mm-hmm. in sixty-two at bats, thirty-five times, and he's only walked three times, and um, there's. Uh, you know, there's probably I would imagine there's something somewhat ugly about watching him hit mm-hmm. uh, day in day out. Um, that maybe you want to send some sort of message. Um, and you know, if he's a, you know, if he's a, if he's a, if he's a mentor, that's probably great in some respects. But 
you don't necessarily want him giving a lot of batting advice <laughs> to young players. Uh, so all those things are relevant and they're hard to deal with. But I guess the uh, from our perspective, but I guess the, the one question I would have for you that's a, a little bigger than this and that is totally speculative, but I just wonder what sort of team uh, is a chemistry guy most valuable on? Is mm-hmm. it a team that's uh, going to be uh, in a pennant race in September? Is it a team that... Um, uh, has high expectations, like like the Angels. I mean, is the Angels the the ideal team for a chemistry guy? Because if they start slow, then all the the burden of expectations is 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 so heavy on them. Or is it a team like the Astros that's going nowhere and is and is basically investing entirely in the character of their players and the the character development of those players? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it a team that is a like the Brewers that could really you could have imagined this year's Brewers team finishing in last place or challenging for first place. And so maybe uh, the kind of uh, sort of exponential uh, benefits of, of, of uh, you know, clubhouse chemistry and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and happy vibes and, and, and happy players might make a bigger difference. So what, where, where is, if you were, if you were an agent and you were trying to sell a team on your uh, on your players' wonderful clubhouse chemistry, what team would you target? Yeah, that that's a good question. I, I mean, I guess you could you could say that if you want to translate clubhouse chemistry into to wins, uh, then you could treat it like like any other win on the free agent market and say that that a team that is kind of at the at the like on the verge of a playoff spot and and every win could could up their playoff odds considerably, then it would be that team, uh, as long as as long as the player in question is not hurting your chances uh, statistically. Um, so I get, I mean, in the short term, it would be that team, I guess. But then, I don't know, a, a team like the Astros, and and I don't know how many of the the current Astros will be on on a good Astros team in in a few years from now, but. I guess a, a team like the Astros, or maybe even with more of its top prospects on the roster uh, than the Astros have right now, and and a bunch of young guys who are expected to be the core of your of your contending team, um, but not to win immediately. I, I guess you could you could definitely make the case that it would be that team just to kind of because if you can. I mean, if the influence of that one clubhouse chemistry guy can can create more good clubhouse chemistry guys, uh, then in the long term, certainly you would benefit more by exposing your young top prospects to that guy and turning them all into good clubhouse guys, which would then pay off exponentially when you're trying to compete a few years down the road. So I don't know. I could see either case, but certainly you would think that it would be of of more value to the Astros than the average team, I would I would think at least. Yeah, the value of that roster spot for an evaluative uh, for evaluative um, purposes is probably also greater for the mm-hmm. Astros though than for any other team. So, That's true. Uh, hard to second guess them, but also pretty easy to second guess them depending on your perspective. It's interesting that that Pena. There's a quote from him at the end of the story where he says. Uh, we are going through a tough moment in the story of this franchise, but I take pride in being able to endure it and to transcend it and get to the point where we want to get to. 
because that's when it's really going to feel good at the end because of this, because it wasn't handed to us, etc. Saddest quote ever. Yeah, because what are the odds that Carlos Pena is going to be on yeah. on a good Astros? No, th- and I mean, this maybe... is like this is like the turkey talking about how excited he is for Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. Like you know, it's been a long winter, <laughs> but when the family comes over, you get all those pies out, you yeah, have a big old dinner. It's going to be so much fun. Right. Why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> right. Because look what just happened to to Rick Angio. <laughs> you're you're another old high strikeout guy uh, who's there for his chemistry. So, so it's it's kind of weird that I mean I guess that's what a that's what a good clubhouse guy does I guess like even if it doesn't make sense for him to be a good clubhouse guy like he's not gonna be there to see the payoff probably he just can't help but but identify so closely with the team that he feels that he will be there or he'll be there in spirit or something and I guess I mean I don't know he could he could parlay his his good clubhouse guyness into a, a front office job or a coaching job with the Astros if he wanted to, and and maybe then he'll be around. But but it's interesting. I don't know if I were Carlos Pena, I feel like I wouldn't identify that closely with the the franchise. Or I don't know. I was never a very good clubhouse guy when I played baseball. Yeah, I, I always just my entire goal when I played baseball was to get one more at bat. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. So, like, if I if I made an out in the like in the last inning, I lost all interest. <laughs> yeah, I well, I I never had any interest in the outcome of any any game that I played in. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't a bad clubhouse guy. I wasn't like fighting with anyone or anything. But I I just always kind of felt like it's eighth grade. Like, like <laughs> what does it what does it matter ultimately if we beat this other school in this game? So that didn't go over so well when the the coaches were trying to trying to fire us up. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So we will be back with one more show this week, the big episode two hundred.